seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is a ritual. I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees. I speak for the trees, for the trees have no tongues. These are the very first words spoken by the titular Lorax in Dr. Seuss's now classic children's eco-fable, The Lorax. The Lorax was first published in 1971. The year prior, on April 22nd, the United States celebrated its first ever Earth Day. Responding to graphic photos of oil spills, the ever-growing litter lining our nation's highways, and an astounding number of disappearing species, the environmental movement kicked into high gear, and the 1970s soon saw a flurry of eco-legislation passed with bipartisan support. The Clean Air Act, the Endangered Species Act, the founding of the Environmental Protection Agency, all were a direct response to two major environmental epiphanies America experienced in the 1960s. The first was NASA's Earthrise photo, taken in 1968 from the Apollo 8 spacecraft. The photo showed our planet from afar for the very first time, helping people understand the reality of the fragile, wet, blue and green marble on which everything we've ever known or experienced has occurred. The second epiphany was looking around and realizing how badly we'd fucked it all up. America's once bountiful forests had been reduced to desolate fields of stumps. Rivers, previously seen as an ideal location for getting rid of unwanted waste, were now visibly polluted. Oil-covered seabirds took their final choking breaths on the beaches of Santa Barbara. Something had to be done. Dr. Seuss, tired of how dreadfully dull all the available ecological literature was, wrote the Lorax in protest using his rhyming verse and nonsense words to articulate in a way even a child could grasp how fraught our ecological situation had become. In the years since, environmental education has become a standard component of public education. Children learn about the water cycle, the importance of recycling, and why they shouldn't litter. Captain Planus told us that, with our powers combined, we could take on polluters and save the earth. Yet, Behind the scenes, the corporate villains Captain Planet battled in cartoon form were busy lobbying to undo America's environmental regulations, discredit the reality of climate change, and promote the idea that environmentalism was ultimately about individual responsibility, as a smokescreen for their highly profitable pillaging of the Earth's natural resources. And, unlike a Captain Planet episode, their nefarious scheme was a triumphant success. Oil companies are still raking in record profits, while climate change has become not just an undeniable fact, but a very real threat to humanity's continued existence in the 21st century. And all of that elementary school environmentalism we went through now feels futile and foolish, resulting in a growing apathy towards our planet's future. What do you want me to do? Recycle? Compost? Like that's even going to do anything? And that's where today's guest comes in, who has emerged, Lorax-like, from the sawn-off stumps of our environmental degradation to speak, not just for the trees, but the birds and the bees and the tomatoes and the potatoes and the mushrooms and the worms and give voice to the pain of the planet in rhyming verse. Hill of the Earth, formerly Hill of the Killa, formerly half of Nate and Hilla, the rapping duo she performed in with Nate, of Nathanology, who taught us how to survive in a simulation, is the Lorax for the TikTok generation. The Cardi B of compost, the Missy Elliott of mycelium, the Jay-Z of renewable energy, Hill of the Earth raps about our planet's peril and the ways we can re-engage with our environment. Because, as the Lorax itself said, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot 
nothing is going to get better. It's not. So, let's listen to Hill of the Earth's viral eco-banger Dirty Talk, and then we'll get our own hands dirty as we learn how to save the planet. You want the dirt, I give you the dirt. I am the dirt that you live on the earth. You want it dirty, I give you the word. I gave you the world. I make it work. I make it work, work, work. I got the worms working under my skirt. I'm what you live on, I'm what it's worth. I am the earth, I give you the dirt. Dirty talk, get on the ground. My body's so porous, my body's so round. Wanna talk dirty, I'll give you the sound. Give me the roots, I'll give you the mound. Feed me your feces, we need to hustle. Clean up my beaches, show me your muscles. I'll give you crabs, I'll give you turtles. Build me a baby, I'm filled and I'm fertile. You want the dirt? Feeling the clay and the sand up my shirt slip in my silk i'll give you a squirt you want to eat it you need my dirt potassium nitrogen enzymes vitamins spread your seeds i am vitamin giving you what you need time and time again i got minerals fungi h2o bacteria carbon nematodes if you want to grow you gotta get a hoe go work the land that's a hand job bro throw your organics all over my body i make it hot you're welcome to watch me i break it down i mix it all up and then when i'm done you can grow some new stuff lick it up that plant sweat i'm sequestering that carbon i come alive when you get me wet, there's an orgy in your garden. I like variety, so stop that mono cropping. Lift up that concrete and watch my flowers popping. The dirt that I've been turning is a cycle, death, and birth. And I'm trying to get turned, cause I'm dirty, I'm the earth. You want the dirt? I'll give you the dirt. I am the dirt that you live on the earth. You want it dirty? I give you the word. I gave you the world. I make it work, I make it work, work, work. I got the words working under my skirt. I'm what you live on, I'm what it's worth. I am the earth, I give you the dirt. Hello, Hilla. Hello. We're going to start this episode a little unconventionally with a lightning round. Wow. So I'm just going to name some things, and I just want you to just off the top of your head, whether you're for or against, yes, no. Just give me okay. quick reactions. Yes or no. Okay? Got it. Yes or okay. no. Um, so like, yes, if you're into it, you think it's good. No, if it's bad, not into it. Got it. All right. You ready? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Littering. Throwing trash on the ground. No. No. Okay. Uh, dumping oil into rivers. No. No. Okay. Holes in the ozone layer. No. Uh, giant multinational corporations with no oversight or responsibility. No. Uh, recycling. Yes. Uh, composting. Yes. Growing your own salads. Yes. Okay. This is easy. I know. I don't <laughs> like to make it hard. <laughs> Welcome, Hill of the Earth. We're very excited to have you as part of our ritual, considering we all live on planet Earth and you're uh, one of its spokespeoples. Yes, I'm so happy to be here. What's our magic word going to be? Oh, well, I think it's Earth. Earth, not litter. <laughs> you're not going to go with litter. <laughs> on the count of three. One, two, three. Earth. Earth. <laughs> nice. It's like Will Smith style. Welcome to Earth. Welcome All to right. Earth. So you used to be a killer. Now you're mm -hmm. an Earth protector. Correct. Just take us on a journey. How did how did you go from slaying rhymes in the street to <laughs> trying to uplift an entire planet? <laughs> well, they both go together. I'm still slaying rhymes in the street, but now it's for the Earth. And that's the primary focus, just learning as much as I can about the beautiful planet that we're on and how to help us all thrive and be alive and be happy on it. Um, I guess I, I grew up in New York City in the concrete jungle. Mm -hmm. And um, I grew up in Soho in lower Manhattan, which is probably the least natural place <laughs> that exists. In the no, city, I've been to Las Vegas. Oh, Las Vegas is also, <laughs> yeah, that's true, Las Vegas. Um, yeah, but there's like not a lot of trees in my neighborhood. In fact, on the block where I grew up, there isn't even a single city tree. And so me coming into thinking about the planet um, was a journey. It took a long time, many years of uh, psychedelics and um traveling and seeing other places uh, to really start caring about the trees and the air and the water, how to grow food. And I've always been a performer. Hill of the Killa was a name that was given to me in summer camp uh, when I was 14, which was actually the first place where I ever dwelled in a forest up in the mm -hmm. Catskills. Um, 
So I was like performing and doing a lot of comedy stuff. And was this a Jewish summer camp? It was a Jewish summer camp. I feel like like the whole entertainment industry like starts in a Jewish summer camp and that's like level <laughs> yeah, one. And then you go the up from there. <laughs> that's the first level. Yeah. yeah Kanye West camp. got his start at a Jewish summer camp. Actually. He did? No, he went to Jewish lie. summer camp? <laughs> no. no, I doubt it. But maybe yeah. that would be fun. That would be a funny fun fact about Kanye if he was at a Jewish summer camp. It's a lot more fun than the real facts about Kanye. So <laughs> <laughs> let's just rewrite his story for uh, for the sake of humanity. Um, yeah, no, uh, Jewish summer camp, Camp Shomria, what up? Liberty in upstate New York. And yeah, that's why I became the killer. Mm-hmm. And then I started writing some rap songs in college. And started doing a lot of stand-up comedy. And, mm. you know, me being a rapper was kind of part of the bit. Like, yeah. nobody expects me to be, you know, out here with the bars. And I thought it was super funny. Everyone thought it was funny. People would be like, hello, the killer. And I'd come mm-hmm. out and everybody would be like, ha already it's funny. Yeah. But then I met Nate, who... Has been on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, How to Survive in a Simulation. I forget what we called that episode. But the simulation <laughs> one, it was amazing. Yeah. Very simulating. It was. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, So we met just because we were on a bill together Mm -hmm. uh, in this like cute salon style show in Bed-Stuy. And when when I saw him do his thing, I was like, oh, you can be like really nerdy and weird and also be a really good rapper. Mm -hmm. And he sort of like helped me, you know, take rapping more seriously. He produced my first album, which was mostly about like body hair and sex positivity and being a hippie and just kind of like silly, funny things yeah. that were like more, you know, Hill of the Killer style content. And then together we kind of like really got into zero waste, bringing your own cup, composting. And we started making the eco songs together. We started with a song about plastic called I Am Plastic Man. Mm. Um, and then we did a song about bringing your own cup and about comp- composting your poop. <laughs> and that just kind of like, kept going and going until finally we made a show where we needed the earth to rap. And it was like, between the two of us, who do you think should be the earth? Yeah. And it was, it was me. It was obviously me. (laughs) (laughs) Despite being a city kid with very little knowledge about the earth, I felt like it was my, my role uh, hey, New York's that global, right? You That's got that, right. That perspective. If you can make it there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's how the Earth costume was born. And really last year is when it just kind of took off. Like I started performing as the Earth uh, in the streets and I started making some like eco remixes like Wet Ass Planet. And yeah, went super viral and everybody loves it. And now I am the Earth. There you go. You found your your archetype. Yeah. Um, so I want to take a moment to just say I'm so happy because I'm old enough to remember when like nerdcore came out of like often white rappers rapping about exclusively how big of nerds they were and Star Wars jokes. And yeah. I'm so glad we've grown beyond that. Like some of that was fine, but... I'm glad that you were able to start with the things that matter to you, like body hair, and then find other things you were passionate about. But yeah. I'm curious about your eco journey because I think for anyone who grew up, you know, in the public education system in the last several decades, I don't know what's happened with funding recently, but you know, you make like a macaroni picture about recycling and you have like an Earth Day where you learn that there's an ozone hole and <sighs> it's bad. And then we, you know, learned that you shouldn't litter, which is crazy that we had to learn that you shouldn't do that. <laughs> it's crazy. There was a time where it's like, yeah, trash, just throw it out of your moving car. Uh-huh. Uh, but what was the moment where you actually like kind of took it all in and go, whoa, wait, I need to, I need to think about this planet in a different way? Well, like I said, it didn't just happen in one instant. It was a very much organic process that like took many, many years. But I think a lot of things happened. Um, No one just fed you mushrooms and then like clockwork oranged your eyes and made you watch a documentary about the plastic (laughs) island in the Pacific. And you're just like, ah. Yeah. Well, actually, I did do mushrooms at a very young age. 
I was Me uh, too. 14, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> High school delinquents. <laughs> yeah, I was in eighth grade. And, Say, um, okay, yeah, fourth grade, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. And um, at that time, I was very convinced that my goal was to become a lawyer. So mm. I felt like I had exceptional comprehension skills, was really good at arguing and making a case for anything and, uh, you know, building just a sound argument. And I knew that my role was to be a lawyer. Like I knew I was like, I'm going to be the best lawyer ever. And then See, I my goal my- <laughs> at that age was to be a hobo. I was like, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to live in a boxcar and eat. Dumpstered bagels. That'll be what I do when I grow up. That's hilarious. I love that. (laughs) But then I became a lawyer. So what are you going to do? You became a lawyer? No, I'm just lying constantly (laughs) in this episode. (laughs) Look, you know, we're just reading. So anything you tell me, I'm going to believe off the bat. But maybe I shouldn't. (laughs) Well, anyway, so that's what I thought I was going to do. And then I took these mushrooms and... I was like, no, no. <laughs> I have to be an artist. Mm. And I had this thought that like, I'm so good at these things, but I should be, you know, pushing my laws and the things that I care about, not some other government's laws. Um, and so that was I'm happy you turned the out the way you did, but I'm now mourning the alternate timeline where you became a <laughs> rapping lawyer. That would and be And you cool. were just like crushing closing arguments <laughs> and like the jury's like beatboxing and everyone's like going ape shit. The judge is just like, oh my God. You know, <laughs> Banging honestly, the gavel to the beat. <laughs> anything can still happen, right? That's true. I yeah. am I am very much considering running for office and rapping as okay. the earth. So that yeah. is something that is still in the you know, and knowing law and studying law is a very par- big part of running for office, I think. So, hey. I thought it was uh, getting is- money from lobbyists. I thought that oh, was yeah. the, big, <laughs> the big part of running for office. That's also a big part of it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If you're going to run in New York, I can help you because I'm good at lying. And oh. according to George Santos, that's all you need to get elected in New York these Look days. Look at that. <laughs> Look, I think With we our powers combined. <laughs> <laughs> get the earth on the ballot. By yeah. any means necessary. <laughs> exactly. Captain Planet, let's go. All right. So, yeah. So, that happened. And then, you know, I went to the forest. And I remember when I was in summer camp. <laughs> Wait, you, was, you, mean, you mean camp? Yeah. Or you just, okay, I was like, you just, you wandered into the woods to do like a hermitage. <laughs> You're like, I'm tired of this schooling. I'm going to go commune in nature for a year. Okay. So, you went to summer camp. I mean, pretty much, yeah. yeah. When I went to summer camp and I went through the woods and I was on a hike and I was just like, wow, this is even trippier than that mushroom trip I did in my bedroom. Like, yeah. this is Wait even you weirder. Them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> later, 10 years later, she combines yeah. them. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I was like, wow, this is so incredible and beautiful. But I, I don't think I really knew how much that was going to impact me at that mm-hmm. time. It really did take a while. And a uh, trip to Burning Man uh, really opened up my perspective uh, because of the the awareness and the culture around trash. So my mm. entry point into like thinking and caring about the environment was definitely trash. Um, growing up in New York City, growing up in Soho, trash everywhere all the time. Yeah. And I never thought about it, never thought twice about it. Um, and then Burning Man, everybody's partying. It's like, it's like New York. Like I, mm-hmm. I really did feel like, like Burning Man, like Black Rock City, like was a lot like New York City in terms of just like a lot of people, eclectic personalities, parties everywhere. But the big difference was that there was no trash bins. Everybody had their own cup. I thought that was super cool. And then I come home and, uh, I'm like, you know, I come home from Burning Man and there's a mountain of package packaging from yeah. all the stuff that I bought for Burning Man and like Amazon boxes and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. Like, how do I change my life so that it's like Burning Man all the time where I don't have any trash, I don't have any packaging. And so I went on this like zero waste journey and I was composting and bringing my cup everywhere. And I had like my utensils and rags and just like 
doing all sorts of silly stuff like asking for sandwiches and, and napkins, like bringing rags to the deli. Put the slice like, of pizza <laughs> in my hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd bring plates hey. to places and be like, put this on the plate, put this on the plate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, some places would, some places would not. Yes, that um, is definitely the thing. And so it was a learning process, but I did that pretty like hardcore for about two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really, I'm not like that hardcore anymore, but I learned a lot. And and then I started growing basil and I started going to the farmer's market and learned more about vegetables. And I started growing vegetables that I really love, like tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And I saw their plants for the first time ever when I was like 28. Yeah. So like I'm 33 now and I literally never saw a tomato plant until I was 28 which is like wild because I love tomatoes. I've probably said this on the podcast before, and I know my partner has teased me about how often I bring it up, but when I first visited a farm and saw asparagus growing, it looks like a prank. It looks like somebody (laughs) came there the night before and just stuck (laughs) asparagus in the ground in a row. And you're going to be like, wow, that's how asparagus grows? And they're going to be like, no, you idiot. (laughs) And then like show you where it really grows. But that's how it really grows. It turns into a bush if you let it. I can't believe that. Yeah, that when I discovered that for the first time, same thought process. I was like, yeah. there's no way that this is how the plant actually grows. And it's like, takes two years. Asparagus takes like two years to grow. And yeah. it, it just blows my mind that it just shoots out of the ground like that. And then when you buy it, it's in a bushel of like, like 20 of them. And I'm just like, yeah. where did they get all these asparagus? And then you cook half of it and then you're trying to get through the other half and then they're getting wilty and you're like, oh, my asparagus. <laughs> Maybe that's just And me. then your pee smells and you're like, oh, I definitely smells. eat asparagus. Win-win, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I love vegetables. I've always loved vegetables. Salad has been my favorite food since I was a kid. I mean, um, you've liked mushrooms since you were 14 at the least. <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> that's true too. We were talking yeah. yesterday about... Um, eating vegetables growing up and I, um, I'm 37. So I was growing up in the nineties and I remember like frozen vegetables all the time. Like we're going to microwave a thing of spinach. And I remember having raw broccoli at a party where there was a crudite tray and I could dip it in ranch. And I was like, raw broccoli slaps. Like, this is great. <laughs> like, why have you been feeding me the mushy, horrible version of this? <laughs> oh my God. Fresh spinach. Also great. Why have I had this like, wet blob on my plate that I have to eat in order to get dessert. This sucks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's so many amazing ways to prepare vegetables. Yeah. And I'm about it. I'm about it. I like grilling vegetables, pickling them. I mean, there's just yeah. so, so many great things. So I think there's an interesting thing in your journey that you've just brought up where you were reacting against trash, like trash is bad. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, I've I've talked to um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Corinne Loperfito, but she's been yeah. on talking about um, zero waste before, and it's hard. Like you have to be a pretty willful person to walk around and just deal with people being weirded out by you all the time and being like, <laughs> "Why do you want it on your own plate? That's not how we do it. We're not going to serve you here. You have to go find another place." And it's hard, I think, to be an individual swimming just against the current of the whole system, yeah. and so. Were you consciously shifting your attention towards something that is more, I don't know if like fun's the right word, but like (laughs) it's more constructive rather than deconstructive. Instead of saying, there's a trash system that I'm going to try and dismantle on your own. You're saying, oh, cool. I can get a bucket of dirt and grow tomatoes and then make a salad for my friends. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, you know, it's like the the decision to be anti something versus mm-hmm. pro something. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm very much pro earth and pro growing your own food and pro compost. And I am anti trash, anti plastic um, and single use. Yeah. We um, covered that at the top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, it's like uh, once you get into it, there's so much you learn and there's so many mm-hmm. ways to kind of focus energy. And um, when we think about individual responsibility versus collective responsibility, and of course the collective is made up of the individuals. So Mm -hmm. it's always both. But I think a lot of the zero waste conversation puts an unfair burden on the individual to sort of pave a way that is unsustainable for most people. Um, you know, and, and if you can do it, you definitely should, but it does require 
a ton of time, you know, to prepare everything from scratch. Like if you are actually doing a zero waste lifestyle and you're eating only food that you get zero waste, either you are, you know, bringing Tupperware to restaurants and having them Mm -hmm. fill your Tupperware like to go or whatever, which can be very expensive. Um, Or you're buying raw materials from the farmer's market and having to make your own almond milk. You have to make your own everything, your own pickles, your own this, your own that, because all those other things come packaged if they're Mm pre-made chips. You know, think about anything that you buy that's processed, that's pre-made. It's always going to be in packaging. And And if you go to a restaurant, it's just hidden behind the curtain because it's not like they went and the chef just carried tomatoes back in his apron from the yeah. farmer's market, like they got packaging. The, the restaurant exactly. definitely produces trash. Yes. And I think that's one of the problems with the individual focus is it makes everyone else uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, you don't make trash the thing that we all do and just like try not to feel guilty about because we know that you're right, but it's like annoying to do the thing that you're doing. So, you know, what's easier poking holes in what you're doing and if we can find uh well that's a piece of trash or that's actually not eco or you drove a car to burning man you know that car is pretty like yeah i think it creates this tension between individuals where we're either just being a jerk to our friend or feeling like our friends being holier than thou however you know we want to yeah take sides you're you're taking on this personal responsibility and then yeah Mm -hmm. it, it does i think create a rift with people who aren't able to do that for whatever reason. And then the and, oil barons are just sitting off to the side, just like oh, twiddling. Yeah. And, and nobody's focusing on them. Which eating we coal really by the handful while shooting their pistols into the air. Oh just, my gosh. I, I did yeah. a little Google search the other day of uh, all the CEOs of the major oil um, gas companies and just like to look at their faces because I was like, I don't even know yeah. what their faces look like. And I'm going to make, probably. I need to make like a dress with their faces Ooh. on it. Cause I think yeah. everybody should know who, who we really need to be paying attention yeah. to, you know, like, and you know, at the end of the day, it is a personal thing. Like it feels mm-hmm. good. Like I really love bringing my own cup to a coffee yeah. shop when I get a coffee or a beverage, or if I'm at a party and you know, I want to, you know, have a drink. Like I love yeah. just whipping out my cup and being like, Oh, sure. put it in here. Like, I don't need that trash cup. And like, I don't care if it makes other people uncomfortable because I enjoy that very much. Yeah. I, and, and most people love it too. And I think that it's one of those things that is like really easy to like do for some people. And so like, I always encourage it. And, you know, you can do anything. Like, it's it's just, it's just a matter of time, energy, ability. Mm-hmm. Um, and also really like, I think the most important thing is just to never really feel guilty when you don't do it. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. we create trash. It's not your fault. You didn't make this thing. Like you're just using it, you know, and you can make better choices next time, but you also, you know, make the choice that you need to make for, for yourself, for your health, for your mental health, for, for whatever. And that's always been my, my outlook on it because what we really, like you said, what we really need to focus on is, is the people who are the producers of these items, to hold them accountable for the pollution and damage they're causing. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're 100% right there. And there's value in personal experience. Just because you grow a tomato plant doesn't mean you are never going to buy food from the store ever again, but you've learned something in that experience. Just yeah. because you were zero waste for a while doesn't mean you will never produce trash again and haha, you're a hypocrite, we caught you, but you've learned something through going through that process, which changes your perspective. And I think that's valuable at the individual level and is a better frame than the apathy that we all not all, but 99.999% of us kind of just like sit in and justify away. Yeah. And it is like all about learning. Like I learned yeah. so much all the time because I, again, like did not grow up in an environment that was teaching me how to make a garden bed or build soil mm-hmm. or, you know, do anything really. And I'm just like constantly learning and learning and it's, it's, it's fun. Like I, I love, I love learning new things. And especially when it comes to how to live sustainably and thrive on on this planet and like knowing where things come from is really exciting for me. 
and also knowing what happens to them when I no longer have use for them or they get Mm -hmm. destroyed or they're done. And I think those like the cycle of everything is what really keeps me going. Like, where is the cycle? What is the cycle? And compost is, is such a great metaphor for that because composting is literally the link between the death and the life. And it's just like when, when things decompose and they turn back into soil and they become nutrients ready for the next plant, like, yay, what an amazing thing to ponder and to recognize as a part of our existence here on this planet. I remember Joseph Campbell in one of his lectures about mythologies talks about how in kind of early cultures, you have the more nomadic ones that are following some sort of game. They're kind of, you know, on the plains, or you have the more tropical ones. And the tropical cultures have philosophies and religions about how life comes from death because you're just surrounded by like verdant jungle where things are constantly living, dying, rotting, growing out of each other like all the time. Where um, I forget the exact framing, but it's like the nomadic ones have a little bit more like our kind of, you know. Um, like Jesus like dies and comes back (laughs) because like the Buffalo will go away for the season and then they'll come back next season. And it's this kind of like on off sort of thing. So you have less of the sacrifice. You handle it a little bit differently. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a longer time, time frame, Mm -hmm. I guess. So you're not like seeing the thing growing out of the dead thing. You see it die and then it's dead for a while. And then it's like, and now it comes back. It's also, I mean, like the difference between leaving fruit on your counter in the summer and the winter (laughs) if you don't, you know, religiously like climate control your home where you're like, oh man, that banana did not last very long (laughs) in the summertime. (laughs) Yeah. So how has it been taking this message to the streets? Uh, You are out in New York wearing a giant earth costume and rapping about tomatoes and compost. What has that been like for you? Uh, it's super fun. It's really great. Um, I love being a spectacle. I love uh, disturbing the peace or, you know, mm-hmm. just disturbing the moment. and The just status like, quo. Yeah, just injecting yeah. like some silliness and joy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm addicted to smiles. I love when people smile at me. So mm-hmm. I'll always be smiling back and I'm big, smiley, jolly earth. And I think that's, that's working for people. Like, um, I think when we think about the planet as a whole, it's a lot of it is very like doom and gloom and climate Mm -hmm. change and we're past the point of no return and everything is, you know, bad, but like, I don't really have that outlook or rather, even if that's the case, like I'm not going to live my life that way. I'm not going to, you know, spend my days thinking it's already over. So I'm kind of out here just trying to connect with people and see what they think about the earth and, what I've gained so far is that people really do love the planet we're on. People love being outside. People love trees. People love each other. And as long as we create environments for that to thrive, that's what we're going to see. So yeah. when I go out there and I'm the earth and I'm making, and I'm singing about tomatoes, everybody who loves tomatoes is going to be happy for a moment. And they're going to be like, yeah, tomatoes. Yeah. Um, just creating these anthems for, for the people of earth. I think I think that's beautiful. And I think, you know, one of the things, because I'm a kind of weird futurist in my own idiosyncratic way, but one of the things that I think would be so nice about if we could get to another planet is that people could go there and see how hard other planets suck and then come back <laughs> and appreciate Earth. Because we were designed to be on Earth. We're like, oh, this part of the Earth is too hot and this part of the Earth is too cold. And that's like this narrow ribbon of temperature that we can survive at. And everywhere else, we would have a very bad time. And I think (laughs) even living on Mars, we would be like, oh, man, this gravity difference is just like fucking destroying us. Like we're just so uncomfortable and all sorts of health problems. Let's go back and not screw up this other planet we have because that one's way nicer to begin with. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Like, Earth is the sexiest planet. No, you don't want to be on Mars. You don't want to be on Saturn. What is that? That's like a big gas ball. You're not even going to have anywhere to, you know, yeah. chill at. No, I know. Not not equipped for it. No. Yeah, and Venus, it's cold. Too much Venus? pressure. Oh, yeah. so much pressure. Oh, yeah. these other planets. Please. Mercury is like the hottest and the coldest, so it's like the worst of both worlds. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. No, Earth is where it's at. Earth is definitely where it's at. We need to stay here and, and make yeah. it good. Yeah. So what has um, what has becoming a spokesperson for the Earth 
Like you said, you went crazy viral. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I have a song called Dirty Talk, which is like a sexy song about soil. And mm-hmm. soil is super important. And the more we learn about soil, the more we learn about ourselves, I think. There's actually yeah. a microbe in soil that if you touch it, it like makes you happy. It what? like actually like <laughs> works with your brain and you know, cures depression. Like, who knew? You touch soil and it's like an antidepressant. So soil is super important. And the song Dirty Talk uh, is really funny. It's just like full of sexual innuendos. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great way to get people's attention and to think about soil, um, what's going on in there. And that song, I performed it at Tompkins Square Park on Mother's Day about two years ago. And or exactly two years ago. And that this little video that I have of it where like I'm really, really tiny in the frame. Mm-hmm. And there's this um the person who is filming me is like screaming, like, yeah. Um, <laughs> while I'm rapping. Uh, this video just went super viral, like uh, multiple yeah. times. Like it went viral last year and it went viral this year. Um, and I just the earth is kind of an evergreen topic. Yeah. It's it's always it's not in- like you're like a rapping Santa, like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, every day is Earth Day. Mm-hmm. So it's always going to be relevant, but especially on Earth Month, I think a lot of people are yeah. like, well, I think because it's like the spring, so people are really like getting into, oh, life is coming back. Oh, oh the outside is about, cool again. Yeah, yeah nice. we like to be outside. <laughs> yeah. I'm just so grateful because I've been connected to so many people who are on this path or on this tip of like, we love the Earth. We think Earth content is interesting and important. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think like, when I listen to music, I do really pay attention to the lyrics. And especially if I'm listening to a song over and over again, because it's so catchy and I want to hear mm-hmm. it or I'm like running to it. Yeah. I get really frustrated by lyrics because I feel like they're so unimaginative. <laughs> and- oh, girl, girl, I love you. I miss you. I had you, but I don't anymore. And I want you back, baby. Yep. Yep. That's like 80% of the songs out here. 80% of songs right there. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a lot, a lot, a lot about like obsessing over somebody, uh, mm-hmm. lost love, or just like, you know, being in love. I do love love songs. I'm not going to like, I, I will always yeah. champion a, a good love song. But, but I'll it's dog just... on a bad love song all day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not going to hold back. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I would like to also hear songs where, I'm I'm listening to the lyrics and I'm I'm learning something. I'm learning new words. Yeah. I'm hearing new words. Uh, you know, it, it's it's very un, unlikely that I'll start like listening to a song on the radio and I'll suddenly learn like five new tree names. Yeah, and that's kind of what and I remember want, them because rhymes are catchy and yeah. yeah it's a so that's kind of what I, my mission is to bring that and to really like teach people, even if it's subliminally, just to hear new words about things that we should all know about. The, yeah, the different kinds of trees, the leaves, the cycle of nitrogen and carbon and how it goes mm-hmm. through our planet and water. These are so important topics. I think like we've gotten kind of used to living in a society that's very dependent on these like unnatural systems to bring us very important basic things like water. And not yeah. a lot of us know where to go or how to uh, get water when, mm-hmm. you know, just out in the world. We don't know, really understand watersheds. We don't really understand like where those things. So like for me, and I, I you know, for, and I'm saying, I'm speaking of myself really when I say we, because I- Well, when you speak are, for yourself, you speak yeah. for the whole planet. So. Well, there's a lot of people who <laughs> do have that knowledge, right? There's a lot of people yeah. who either grew up that way or they're like indigenous, like living in the jungle. They mm-hmm. have that knowledge. So it's like, for me, it's like, oh, I just really want to amplify this, this knowledge, this ancient knowledge of how to live and how to thrive on this planet as a human being um, yeah. because like losing that knowledge is, it's just, it can't, we can't, uh, we're not going to survive if we, if we don't have it, we have to have, but we it. have so many more Pokemon now. We know all the <laughs> names of all the different Pokemon. So it's like, we're trading off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it's true. People, people are like entering into virtual realities and yeah. it's becoming less and less important to them. But that's the thing is like the second that you don't have water, Nothing matters except for that. That is the number one. And you can't survive for more than like 24 hours without water. Like three days, I think is the max, max, max that you can survive without water. So 
I, I feel like for me, it's like, that's the most important thing. Like, think about that. Like you want to, you want to know that you're secure with the water and yeah, going viral, like is connecting me to a lot of people who have farms, homesteads, who study forest agriculture and how to, you know, create food forests and how to, mm -hmm. um, make microclimates so that there's lots of water, how to restore, uh, you know, degraded mountains and bring back water, bring back life into places yeah. that have been, you know, destroyed. So the connection to those people for me is so valuable. And that's, I think, like one of the best things that's happened is that now I have all these people that I'm learning from. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I can be glib and make jokes. And I think, you know, there is some interesting concepts about where do we divide what is natural and what is not natural. Mm -hmm. But even when I want to be on my like, ah, we're just the world is transforming into some globally sentient digital consciousness that's going to spread throughout the galaxies. Great. Like, I'm on it. But then you <laughs> go to an intersection where it's like a Flying J and a McDonald's and a Subway, and you watch somebody, like, get a giant big gulp and take two sips and then just, like, throw it at the trash can and miss and then just walk away. And it's like, yeah, no, that was pretty cool. And we, like, knew how to, like, cultivate forests to uh, grow more <laughs> fruit trees like that. That was definitely tight. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Cause like at the end of the day, I feel like we can really have it all, you know, you can yeah. have your virtual reality and you can also step outside and be immersed in food and food forests and edible. Weeds. You can take your iPhone to the park <laughs> you can take and then you iPhone. can use it to learn what the, trees are around you there's yeah. those plant identifiers like you you i mean like i i, I seem like i'm making a joke but it's like no, you absolutely. really can do both like i think people say oh i can't go vegan it's like you could skip meat one meal you could yeah you, you could, could grow one meat. tomato plant that's yeah. for sure yeah and i think you know the vegan conversation is is so complex because mm -hmm. so many people have very strong opinions about it. And a lot of people feel very defensive if mm -hmm. they love meat or if they want to eat meat um, for people who are vegan or saying, don't eat meat, don't eat meat. That's the best way to take care of the planet. But it's just not true. Like a diet choice like that is not going to save the planet. Like if everybody decided to stop eating meat tomorrow, but we still have the food systems that we have, we're not necessarily going to, you know, have a better planet because a lot of the people who are vegan eat fruits and vegetables that are farmed very unsustainably and that yeah. also kill tons of animals. Just because you're not putting the flesh of the animal into your mouth doesn't mean that you're not responsible for... The restaurant still makes trash. Yeah, exactly. exactly. The restaurant still makes trash. And just the dietary choice is not the solution. It's more like actually knowing where your food comes from, right? So no matter what it is that you choose to put in your mouth, if it's local, if it's farmed sustainably, if it's contributing to life and to like the growth of an ecosystem, mm -hmm. then to me, that is more vegan or like, you know, sure. good for the earth than just being like, okay, I don't eat meat. Like what, like, what do you think is better for the earth? Like eating an avocado that's farmed super unsustainably that contributes to like slave labor and mm -hmm. you know animals dying or eating a cow that was farmed on a regenerative farm using like food forest forest silvo pastures and things like yeah. that like i don't know every every decision is kind of like you know it has its own path right mm -hmm. you know exactly. every every little object on earth has its own where it came from and where it's going and you kind of get to make your choices based on the knowledge that you have not everyone and everything's is, complex and interwoven, which creates yeah. a feeling of overwhelm, which creates analysis paralysis. And then someone <laughs> says, here's the easy thing to do. And you're like, thanks, voice. And then you didn't realize <laughs> it was the like oil covered muck monster of corporate interest that whispered in your ear. Yeah. Which, you know, to talk about recycling, like oil companies actually created a lot of the language that we have around like carbon neutrality and carbon footprint. Oh, yeah. Um, recycling campaigns were all kind of funded by these companies to make you think that it's your responsibility to deal with this trash that they created, which, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's their responsibility. And, you know, we, obviously we have power as a people to boycott. And I think that's a lot what the vegan movement is like trying to explain to people. It's like, you know, we're not, you know, we, we care about animals and we are boycotting all meat until, this system is eradicated 
because it is so harmful. And it really is. Like if you really think about how much of our land on earth is used for cattle farming, for the production of their food, and also just for the Mm -hmm. physical space of cattle, it's like more than us. Like they have more land than we do. Oh yeah. (laughs) They have like 60%. And, the, yeah. and their methane and the methane from their farts and a lot of things. And it's like, you know, the water that it takes. And so like, yes, beef production, the way that it is now, so unsustainable. And so I think a lot of vegans are just like, look, if you just boycott meat, things will get a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to do that. Not everybody has access to vegan food. And truly, like if you're getting meat from a sustainable place, then do that. Like then I have no, you know, there's no issue with that from my perspective. Yeah. And I think, well, I think it's, we're, we're hitting something that's very complex and that is just the heart of it is that we live in a world of abundant information. Mm-hmm. And so trying to figure out what toothbrush to get becomes a five hour deep dive into Google back pages and looking at <laughs> yeah. Amazon products where it's like, this is the best toothbrush I've ever bought. Five stars. This toothbrush killed my son. You're like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, oh my God. I'm just trying to buy a toothbrush. And we are on social media. So if you feel very exposed. Yeah. And so if we care about something, we want to make the right decision. And I think there is a shortcut to ethical self-validation that a lot of us are tempted to take, which is finding a flaw in what somebody else is doing. So, you know, oh, I shared a picture of Gandhi with a quote that I was like, this is inspiring. And then someone's like shoving people out of the way to get to the front and comment, (laughs) Gandhi beat his wife. And it's like, okay, that's, yes, okay. Like not a perfect person, but what does this do for all of us like do we reject the lessons of anyone who wasn't perfect do we give up on any solutions that are flawed if a lot of people went vegan that would have a noticeable impact for the good on the environment yes we could just switch to like weird beyond beef and then suddenly have some other problem that we've created sure (laughs) but i think we let perfect be the enemy of good all too often when we're trying to create change. And it's very valuable to just take a step back and remember, hey, we're all born into this world in media res. Like, no one has any idea what's going on. We're just giant Jenga towers of bacteria that have figured out how to make TV shows and podcasts. Uh, But trying to connect with those other elements, I think, is very vital. And I think to kind of what you've been describing with your own journey, it's not about I, Hilla, am going to change the entire environment by not using plastic for a year or deciding not to eat that burger. It's about expanding from the little world that you had in Soho to realizing where did the food come from? Where does the food go? Where did the object come from? Where does the object go? How am I part of a chain of being rather than just this isolated unit that's saying, don't tell me what consumer decisions I can and can't make, Mm -hmm. friend who is trying to have a conversation. (laughs) I want to make my own decisions, me who is subject to nonstop billions of dollars of advertising influencing everything I do. Absolutely. Wow. No, I love how you said that because that's exactly it. It's like there's so many options and we really don't know, you know, every time what the right thing is. And I think that also that goes back to what we were talking about, how so much pressure is put on individual choices, which Mm -hmm. of course like matter. They absolutely do. But I've realized that what I yearn for and what I hope to be a part of and to create now going forward in my life is a sense of like, real community and Mm -hmm. trying to understand how we can support each other more because I don't think that every single person needs to cook their own meals. I don't think that every Mm -hmm. single person needs to have all their own tools always, you know, we should be helping each other more. One of the things that I would really wish for is like community dining spaces, right? Maybe that are like connected to a farm so that like, you know that all the food that was made there is coming from a local farm and there's vegan options, of course, but there's also sustainable meat options and everybody can kind of like get what they need from this place. And maybe it's free. Maybe it's like, you know, funded by the community somehow. Like, 
I think like some people are destined to be chefs. You know what yeah. I mean? Like some people is literally like their life rat. mission. Like that, like that rat. Exactly. Yeah. Like rat that rat. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, like that's, that's an art form to, mm-hmm. to make food, something that people enjoy and want to eat, like from the raw materials of the earth to make it like a meal. And not everybody needs to be a chef, you know? And I think the way that a lot of like, you know, the vegan conversation, a lot of like environmental conversation when it comes to food and food is a huge part of our, you know, how we survive and what is important to us on earth. But like, it almost feels like everybody is expected to be a chef and everybody's expected to make these choices about food. Um, Mm -hmm. And if they don't make the right choices, they're, they're wrong. They're, they're, they're the reason that the earth is not, you know. If you're a regular person who works a day job of some kind, you're expected to leave work and then do personal fitness so your body is in good shape, uh, take care of your family or social obligations, uh, pursue some sort of side hustle because how boring that you just have a day job, and prepare yourself a nice meal, which if you live on your own, sucks. I hate it when I was cooking for myself and it's like, time to use an eighth of a bell pepper. (laughs) (laughs) It would be great if there was a dining hall where I could come and hang out with other people just for dinner and then I want to go home and chill by myself. But like, just come by and, you know, share that. I remember I was a vegan when I was in eighth grade and freshman year and I was a punk and I was going to be a hobo. Mm -hmm. And then I I was a vegan anarchist. And trying to be vegan on my own sucked because I was constantly in situations where there weren't vegan options. No one else was catering to me. I had to like figure out what was there, which made it so much harder. Years later, I dated someone that lived in a co-op in Austin, Texas that was vegan vegetarian. So all of the house meals were vegan. You could have vegetarian stuff in the house. You couldn't have, you know, bacon in the fridge. And oh my God, it made it so easy. You walk into a kitchen and everything is something that you can eat. Yeah. Everyone has a chore wheel. So different nights of the week, you're just coming home and you're like, what's for dinner tonight? Cool. Vegan sweet potato gumbo. Yum. Yeah. Like I'll do dishes after because it's my chore night. And that's the only thing I have to do for this. Like I didn't have to plan it. I don't have to buy groceries. I don't have to do any of the other stuff. So much easier. So much easier just having 20 people that said we're all on the same page and we're going to do this. Yeah. And I really love that. And I always get frustrated when there aren't vegan options because I don't want to eat meat with every meal. No. You know, it's like, sure, I'll eat it sometimes, but like every day. Why? (laughs) It's too much. Heavy. It's, For me. it's interesting, too, when you travel, because I think there's, you know, in most cities and especially a place like New York, you're just used to, you know, okay, you're going to have, you know, even if you go to the hot chicken place, it'll be like four kinds of hot chicken and then like a vegan option and they'll have <laughs> something for you. And it's weird to go to places where you just look at the menu and you're like, all of your salads have meat on them. Oh my God. When the salads all have cheese and meat on them, I yeah. it drives me crazy. I can't eat cheese. Like I can't eat dairy. So it's like mm. uh, some, some places to eat. It's just like, they don't know how to make anything without dairy. Yeah. And it drives me nuts. And, and yeah, I think that like, it's it's really good to have, you know, a variety and to be able to just use vegetables and be really creative with vegetables because truly like there's so many incredible vegetables. Like this is such a big part of my art is to like mm-hmm. tell people about the vegetables and how great they are. And, you know, there's a whole lot of element of privilege and class and things that come into this, which I think then becomes a weird shortcut of like, you can't tell people to eat vegetables. That's not how they're raised. And I'm like, that's an, yeah, that's the issue though. Like, yeah, right. The issue is not to be like, let's just eat Doritos for every meal. Um, <laughs> and so I'm not, I'm not trying to condescend to anybody. I grew up with a mom that was reading small uh, a diet for a small planet in the 90s and was serving us tofu stir fry and stuff like that and i was like i want to eat pizza and meat and yeah now i've learned but um (laughs) it's crazy to me sometimes just shopping around here and somebody who's checking me out will be like what is this Really? And I'm like, these are beets. And they're like, what do you do with them? And I'm like, wow. well, I like to roast them. And then they make your pea change color. But it's just <laughs> fascinating sometimes of the uh, vegetable illiteracy problem that yeah. we have. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And I, that's like, I think that goes back to like the illiteracy of just 
everything that has to do with what grows from the earth, the earth itself, mm -hmm. the cycles, the systems, the ecosystems that we live in. You know, we pave with concrete. We have these houses. We don't really think about where our trash goes. We don't think about where our pee and poop goes. And it all goes back to the earth just because it's not like something that you're aware of. Like it's somebody's, mm -hmm. somebody is aware of it somewhere. And yes. it's so much better to just be aware of it, to actually have yeah. the knowledge and to know how you are part of the system, the cycle that is giving you life. And that is your food. That is the vegetables that grow from the earth that have delicious, amazing flavors, mushrooms, seasonings. I mean, there's just so much. It, it's incredible how much material there is out there for people. If just your mind is open and you're like, you want to learn, you could forever learn about yeah. just vegetables and how to make them and all their different yeah. flavors. We'll, we'll get into an actual spell in a moment, but just, you know, I think this is a great thing for anyone to do and I'm going to do it myself. But like next time you catch yourself doom scrolling, next time you're like looking at one of the apps and just, uh, why am I looking at this app? Think about a vegetable that you don't know anything about. <laughs> like, yeah. and like, what does that plant look like? Yeah. You know, do you actually know how an eggplant grows? Like, do you <sighs> actually know like what garlic's deal is? I met a garlic farmer a while ago and he was like, oh, the garlic you get in the store is nonsense. I've got 12 different kinds of garlic. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, I wow. want to try all 12 different kinds of garlic. I love yes, garlic. Show I me love the garlic. I'm a garlic <laughs> If the girl. garlic that I already like sucks, <laughs> like show me the good garlic, please. Like, Lay Absolutely. it on me. Eggplant flowers, by the way, are some of those incredible looking flowers I've ever seen. Yeah. And I never saw those also until I was like 29. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or when you go to Mexico and you can get the quesadillas that they make with the squash flowers. That's what's up. Ooh, the squash flowers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's get, let's talk spell time. Okay. What can the listeners do to connect with the earth and to bring a little bit of your hill of the earth magic into their ecosystem? Wow, I mean, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of things. There's a lot. I know, but we're gonna try and find something small because otherwise, <laughs> we're gonna get overwhelmed, and then someone's right, gonna be right. like, "I don't know what to do. I'm so overwhelmed." And someone's like, "No one should tell you what to do. Go eat a Doritos Loco Taco," and they're like, "Okay." So we're trying to avoid that. Okay. Well, in the spirit of you know keeping it simple, and also something that for me was very helpful when I was starting out. Um, Take mushrooms with an eighth grader. Love yes, it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy one, right? Yeah, find um, an eighth grader, give them mushrooms. Good. <laughs> See what they say. Um, I would say find the closest tree to you, um, wherever you are, even if it's a block and a half away, and find out what tree it is. Examine the leaf, examine the bark, maybe use one of those apps, identify mm -hmm. the tree, and just know what kind of tree it is and learn some facts about it and just know. And then every time you see that tree, you could just say, hey, tree. What's up, tree? Yeah. And and just be aware. Just have that awareness. Just go outside and enjoy the outdoors. I mean, that to me yeah. is like the number one thing to just be like, I'm out here. I'm on a planet spinning through space mm -hmm. and I'm breathing this air and I'm alive. And just having that awareness even once a day will will change everything. I'm not being crushed to death in an ammonium blizzard and venus so that's that's a that's something to be grateful for yeah i, bet I mean that would obviously be if, if there's if there's it would be stormy weather <laughs> if yeah. there's stormy weather i would say okay if you have to be inside and you're like okay i cannot go outside there's no way i would say um yeah just like nourish yourself with some vegetables right and and keep all of the food scraps in a little bowl so like if you can even, <laughs> never go outside, I'm sorry. I thank you for listening to this podcast in the future. I'm sorry that our spell didn't work and we did appreciate trees and we screwed it up. And now you're in an underground bunker somewhere and be like, what's a vegetable? What's a vegetable? <laughs> Why aren't they it. talking about protein paste? Oh like, where does the protein paste come from? <laughs> Nobody knows. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that's beautiful. And I think even when I lived in New York, I tried to make a practice of especially in the spring when it's changing so rapidly of just checking out the trees every time you're leaving the house mm -hmm. because they grow so fast. Yeah. They're like cliched parents. It's like, ah, like you can really just like in a week, if you're just noticing, be like, wow, that is like bud, leaf, flower, boom. Like it is just done, happening. Done, done. Yeah. And it's cool to realize while you were inside 
writing Google Docs, <laughs> this little leaf was doing a cool time lapse thing that blink and you miss it. It's true. Yeah. I mean, New York City leaves and, and buds, like, I remember looking at them and being like, oh my God, I see the buds. And I swear I never saw them before. I never had yeah. any concept of them. And I was like, oh, buds. So yeah, go hang out with your buds. Hang out with your buds. Yeah. Thank you, Hilla. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a wonderful conversation. For more of Hill of the Earth's eco magic, visit www.theearth.show where you can learn more about Hilla, see some of her amazing music videos, and find awesome resources for how to engage with the environmentalism that we've been talking about today. And for more of the earth saving in a very different way wizardry of this podcast as a ritual, visit patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual, where you'll get bonus content and be a part of our community. And more than anything, it's about absorbing the ideas that we're talking about, of looking at things from different angles, not accepting the status quo, and remembering our own power to create change. Because that's what this podcast is all about, creating a slightly better reality where the earth is on a slightly better track to not just go up in flames and dissolve into nothingness, and instead to find a way, however we might, to move into the future where things start to look bright. I'm Devin Person. I'm your wizard. And I want you, go hug a tree.